everybody. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I'm Hillary Georgie. Joining me is Nathan McAborski. Hello there. John Schwartz. Hey, Hillary. And Al Sanasiri. Hello. Okay, so on sale now, you can pick up your 2018 official New York Yankees yearbook. And we had a pretty good time putting this together. It was hard. There was a lot of last-minute changes. There was a lot of edits. Most notably, we had to compile this yearbook cover, which is always a hard thing to do because you have to represent the entire year in one cover. What did you guys think about that process? Well, the yearbook cover is always such a, a fun challenge to take on because, I mean, for me, it's you have to think about, you know, the fans who are going to come to Yankee Stadium for the first time in August or September. And you, you know, when we're designing this in February or March, it's got to be something that's kind of evergreen, that's going to still make sense six months down the road that people are going to see and say, wow, that looks awesome. I need to pick that up. Yeah. And also, I mean, beyond that, you know, the yearbook, the Yankees yearbook is is a special thing. I mean, it's part of a long legacy going all the way back to the 1950s. So, you know, I feel like there's been a, a standard set and, and this isn't just a one-off or, or a cheap souvenir that just is like, you know, no, it's, it's something that's really part of a, something larger. And we want to make sure that every year we're, you know, adding to that body of work in a positive way. So, you know, I think we kind of look for themes or just sort of overarching ideas that kind of encapsulate what we feel this season and this particular team is going to be about. And to me, when I went down to spring training, I, I realized, and I was there very early on, it was before the games had even started, I realized, you know, this is essentially the same team coming back that was here last October. Obviously, there's a big addition in Giancarlo Stanton and, you know, a couple other little pieces, a new manager, sure. But, I mean, we brought back a, a lot of the same pieces in the field and in the lineup. Full pitching staff is all the same. Essentially the same yeah. pitching staff, which is really, really rare. So, and, and you also had the sense that it was a short off season. It was kind of like, hey, I just saw these guys like <laughs> in, you know, late October and, and here we are back together again in the clubhouse, you know, a few months later. So to me, it was wanting to capture that feeling of this is not a new team. This is, you know, these guys, uh, they did something pretty, pretty cool, pretty fun, pretty memorable in 2017. And now they're coming back and they're hungry for more. Right. They want to finish the job now. And they want to finish the job. They want to go further. And, you know, I kind of emphasize that word in, the, you know, the season preview that I write mm-hmm. uh, that's found in the yearbook. That word further was kind of on the tip of everyone's tongue uh, about wanting to take that next step this year. So um, that, that was, you know, kind of part of it. And I, I also just felt like not to, you know, harp too much on what happened in 2017, but there was a real kind of sense that Yankee Stadium is back and like the fans were nuts during that run and the players noticed that and everyone who I spoke to said you know they they weren't like oh you know we're moving on that's in but they were like no we still you know remember that well we hear those you know kind of chants and everything echoing in our head so I thought that there was sort of a feeling between the fans and the team of all kind of pulling together in the same direction to take it a step further so you know a lot of the photos that we chose and some of the stories that we ran in here are about just coming together 
either as a team or as an organization, as a whole entity uh, to accomplish a, a goal that everyone has in mind. You talk about all the players coming back in a sense, and it's funny to go back, you know, to sitting in this room the first time we had a meeting about the yearbook, and we're just, you know, discussing, it was early December, I remember it well, we're discussing, man, there's nothing, you know, obvious that's going to stick out with this team, so like, let's brainstorm themes, and we went through all these, because, you know, everyone's coming back, there's nothing, let's just brainstorm themes, brainstorm themes, and it reminds me when you hear uh, beat writers talk about, you know, the lead graveyard, which is, you know, when like there's a game-changing home run in the ninth inning and they just have to delete the story they've written and, right. you know, and no one will ever see the story that was this great story it goes into the lead graveyard. Well, we had some pretty awesome ideas for themes for this thing. And then the next week they trade for John Carlos Stanton yeah. and it was like, nope, that's, we're not going to be not, doing that. That's a, not, not the theme anymore. <laughs> okay. I think we're just going to focus on the actual team on the field this time instead of uh, right. trying to get cute. Uh, and I think, yeah, sometimes the, the team on the field and the, the obvious answer is by far the best answer. And when you look at the star power on this team, um, it's greater than the star power that, that's been in the, on the Yankees roster in quite a long time, probably since they won a championship. Um, star power and excitement, and that's what this team really has, you know, so, uh, so much of in the, in the starting lineup and also, in the, like Nathan said, on the pitching staff, many of whom were, were here last year, I was just thrilled we were able to do the cover that we all wanted to do with the guys that we wanted on there. And when you kind of uh, look at the, the names on this cover and the faces on this cover, it's, pretty, it's a pretty amazing um, group of talented players. Uh, so I, For fans who great. haven't seen it, it's kind of, um, I guess it's a collage of mm-hmm. all the different kind of star players that we have on the Yankees. There's just these really cool, a lot of action shots of, of a lot of the the guys. And a lot of it comes from the postseason. If you see some of these shots, you can see Gary's picture is, is from his big home run. Hicks looks like he just did something big. <laughs> these guys are excited. And I think that's what you guys, we all wanted to get across on this cover is the excitement of this team, the excitement of this season. And, and what Nathan said before is just they want to go further. And I'm going to push on one thing that Nate said also because, you know, we hope that everyone comes to the stadium and, you know, hands over a 20 for this brook or calls 800 go yanks or goes to yankees.com slash publications and buys this because um, there's great stuff in there but the fact of the matter is um that cover is a piece of you know yankees history and the yankees archive in a lot of ways you know you can you know there are collectors and you can go online and you can see every one of the yearbooks that this team has done over um you know like nate said the last 70 years you know, and, and when we're designing this thing and we're trying to go through all these ideas, it's with the understanding that we're building an image right now that is going to endure. And I think that, you know, just the very top of this pyramid of players in this collage is Aaron Judge pointing to the sky. And he's actually pointing to the, you know, the header 2018 Yankees yearbook. Uh, it just it just looks like, yes, this is the right image of this 2018 team as, uh, you know, these faces. Coming up in this episode, John has an interview with Jay Bell, the manager of the Trenton Thunder, and we're going to dive into some of the yearbook stories a little bit more, so stick around. Hi, this is Didier Gorius. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. 
Last year, J-Ball spent his first season as a manager leading the Yankees' high A squad in Tampa. He coached young players such as Dylan Tate and Estevan Florial, guys likely to make it to the Bronx someday soon. He saw a lot of the Yankees' top prospects while managing in the Arizona Fall League this past offseason as well. That's where John caught up with Bell. The two chatted over dinner one night about Bell's philosophy as a manager, his read on players, and that 2001 World Series when Bell scored the winning run in Game 7 to give Arizona their first title. Here's some of that conversation. Having coached for a while, did you have to approach your first year managing differently, and who, what did you build on to... Yeah. You know, the the, uh, the cool thing about it is, you know, as a bench coach for four years, I, I managed pretty much every game. Yeah. I just did it. It was different than the manager because mine was, I didn't, nobody was looking at me to make the final decision. They were looking at the, guy, the, the managers themselves to make those decisions. But I managed every game. So I had to go through the process of getting information and kind of developing my own style so that if my manager got thrown out of the game, then I would, you know, run the game properly. But, and, and, and if he had a question for me or asked me for my suggestion during the course of the game, I would give it to him and have a reason why. And so there was a purpose behind that. But, uh, but one of the things that I loved best about managing, and, still, and, and, and I will until I'm through, through managing, is, uh, is not only are you responsible for, uh, um, like as a hitting coach, I was responsible for the, for the hitters only. And so I, I dealt with them and spent a lot of time with them and really didn't worry about the, the, uh, the defensive side of the game or the pitchers. And the beautiful thing about managing is I get to touch every one of those guys and, and in all different areas. And so it's fun for me to you know, delegate my authority and let, let my coaches do their thing, but talk about the relational aspects and how uh, um, and the mental aspects of the game out there and competing and figuring out how to beat your opponent. And, it's, and that's, that's the thing I probably enjoy most. I think, he, I think uh, Esteban can be as good as he wants to be. He's, uh, our scouting department has done such a great job at getting uh, not only uh, really, really talented players, but really wonderful people too. And so they they they, uh, they combine they combine the two, and Esteban certainly stands out among among all of it. I mean, he's just he's just he's an extraordinary young man at the age of 19 right now, and uh, who's extremely talented, who goes out of his way again to to uh, care for his teammates and all that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, I believe that he is going to be a uh, an all-star uh, caliber player. Um, I don't know if, you know, it's, it's hard to say whether he's going to be a Hall of Famer or not. I, I, I'm not going to go that far, but I think he's got the talent to be a, to, to be a, an all-star player. You know, you've been able, you have a lot of guys like that, obviously, or maybe not a lot of guys, but you have guys like that. But you also definitely just have guys who, you know, do no fault. They're just not going to make the major. They're just not that player. Do you, is there an expectation, do you think, that your job should be different with the guys who you look at and say, you know, this this guy is going to play in New York versus this guy's never going to play above trying My job as a manager and, and uh, coach and, and uh, is to take each of the players and to uh, to look at them as being major league players. It's not to, it's not to determine 
right now whether he's going to. I mean, now we listen. We I evaluate. You know, I know what I know what players are and what they can. You know what they what they project as. But you know, there there are guys that surprise you every year. Yeah. Say, man, how that guy? I saw him in a ball, and he really wasn't that good. You know, but he, it's just you know the the uh, Jake Elmores of the world. You know, guys that just kind of they just plug along and plug along and plug along and. And uh, I know that's an obscure name, but but, uh, but uh, it's it's uh, it's guys that get to the big leagues because they find a way. They just continue to figure out a way to beat their opponents. You never want to put limitations on anybody. So what you do is you recognize, yeah, there's a, there's a, the Esteban Floreales out there. You know the guys that are that, that are almost for sure guys that are going to make it to the big leagues or uh, the Albert Abreu's or the Dylan Tate's or whomever, whomever it may be. But at the same time, the least of the players that I've had this year, man, I got to, I got to work towards helping them get to the big leagues. We got to develop that. That's what we're, that's what we're there to do. That, you know, you sit there as a manager, and they're just, you're so helpful. Like, during the game, you're just helpless. Right. You can make that 50 change, you can do whatever, but absolutely. Is it, does it kill you that you're competitive? Like, don't you just want to get out there sometimes and just like. There's there's part of it that, you know, it's like uh, the third base coaches. Third base coaches probably have as fun a gig as, as anybody in the game because they're there. close to the action. It's almost like playing. It's not quite there, but it's almost like it. So whenever I get a runner on second base doing this fall league stuff or during the season, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm watching, I'm looking, I'm paying attention to where the, the uh, outfielders are playing, figuring out where the infielders are playing, making sure that I put on the signs and all that kind of stuff. And whenever that ball's put in play, you know, you get yourself, you get, you know, there's something about it. The fact that you're out there and you're sitting there and you're you're getting so invested in the game and you're paying attention to what's going on, it's almost like playing. It's not quite there, but it's almost like it. So that, that's where the third base, the third base gig uh, is is so much, so much more fun. <laughs> Again, I go back to the managing part. The, the fun part for me is is the is the relational aspect, and more than anything else, I want to I want to make sure that I give them everything that's been given to me over the years from the from the mental aspects of the game, uh, the emotional aspects of the game. You know, how do you handle failure? How do you handle success? You know, what are your thoughts whenever you are in this situation? You know, whenever you fail in this situation, how did you respond to wherever it is? And so, and that's one of the, one of the things I tell guys all the time is, if you spend enough time in this game, you're going to succeed in every situation, but you're also going to fail in every situation. So it's, it's, it's figuring out how to, how to deal with that and, and using it for your, for your benefit. And, you know, I go back to, the, you know, the George Brett thing over and over and over about how you try, right? You hear people say, hey, hey i got to try harder, try harder. And it's not, and George's thing was, hey, you got to try easier. And so you're still putting the effort in. You're still working hard to, to be the best player you possibly can be, best coach you possibly can be, best manager you possibly can be. But then at the end of the day, man, you want to enjoy every every second of the of the of the, uh, uh, of the work that you put into it to be excellent, and then trust the work that you put in. How big a part of your life is 2001? You know, 2001 was was really, really special. It was a great group of guys. Coming into spring training in 2001, we expected to win. We expected to. We had some really, really talented players, good group of guys that cared for one another. And uh, in that 2001 World Series, 
um, the respect from one side of the field to the other was, was enormous. And it was because of that we, we mirrored one another. Because that was the same type of team that was that was in New York too at the, at the same time that had won a bunch of championships before. It was just a bunch of there was a, there was a few really really solid stars, and then there was a bunch of blue collar players that were complementary to the stars. How surreal that experience going to New York in October, November, what have you, just. You know, it was a weird time, obviously. Like, what are your memories of being back there? Besides, or just including President Bush on the mound, yeah, three. Yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty dynamic. But during that 2001 World Series, because of the delay, because of 9/11, early in the season, you know, everything was started late. And, uh, and once that series started, uh, we played two games here in Arizona. Had the off day, uh, traveled to, to go to New York, and had the workout. Uh, that second day, and part of part of that day was spent going to Ground Zero, and it was extraordinarily surreal to to see something that you'd seen on TV. And I remember uh, vividly what happened that day. You know, so you go from September to uh, to October, and you have the opportunity to go down downtown and, and go to the command center there and see the. Uh, uh, see the images from Ground Zero. See it still burning underneath. And all the all the destruction and all that kind of stuff. It was it was uh, extremely humbling, and it didn't take away it didn't take away from the excitement of the World Series. I think it enhanced it, enhanced it for And I remember one of the things that one of the things that, uh, that that I took away from that was how many Yankee players had gone down and helped out and you know, passed out water bottles and all that kind of stuff and did stuff down there to be a part of what was going on in New York City. It was it was incredible. So you have the games four and five obviously memorable. Three was memorable too. Three. What was the experience like of being on the wrong? I mean we, we read so much and we know so much about the experience of being on the right side yeah. of games four and five. Yeah. What was it like just watching it happen twice? You know, it, it, from a fan standpoint, it was awesome because that's that's one of the things that uh, that so many of us get to do. We we just happen to have the best seats in the house, right? We're, we're sitting over there, and and not only do we have the best seats in the house, but we also get to be involved in the action too. Sitting down there in the dugout, of course, I didn't play very much in those three games. I think I, I think I came in maybe pinch run. I can't remember exactly what happened in those three games, but. You know, so I'm sitting there, you know, I'm a cheerleader, so I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the action, just like, just like everybody else was in the stands. And it was extraordinary to see some of the plays, the home plate, the throws from right field, uh, um, just the way, the way the games, the games went. And and of course, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Scott Brocious fan. I'm a huge Paul O'Neill fan. I'm a huge Derek Jeter fan. To see what they did against us was awesome. Uh, but at the same time, there were some things that we did. I remember Mark Grace hitting one up into the second deck uh, for a home run. That was a huge home run at the time of the game, and, and, and uh, it was just you know, to, to, it was just fun. It was fun. Now, I mean, it, it was it was. <laughs> I feel like you were fighting fate at any point. Like you know, it's it's funny because it, you know it's just something about Yankee Stadium, whether it was the old Yankee Stadium or the new, and it even happened this year. To a certain degree, it's just a cool place to. Something happens there. 
What was and the level of confidence on that play back to Phoenix? Great. It really, really? was. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah, it really was. It was. It was. Uh, uh, we knew what type of team we were. We knew where we were at in, in, the, in the series, but we knew that going back to going back home, we, we felt like that we were going to play really well there. You it just rolled right off. It wasn't that big of a deal. Now that being said, it was you know, with Young. It was Young took it really, really hard, you know, because it was it was two nights in a row. It was it was crushing to his his psyche. But you know, going going back home, game six with with uh, with Randy pitching and his Schilling pitching game seven, we were pretty pretty confident. Game seven. I mean, let's just, whatever. Let's go right to the ninth inning. All right, so so I'm a little biased towards Game Seven too because I still believe Game Seven was I think it's top top five of all time. I think Game Seven. So you get yourself into a situation where you're in the ninth inning against to that point the literally like untarnished best pitcher in history. Absolutely. And are you going to still say your level of confidence is sky high that one? Or? The thing that we had going for us against Mariano was nothing more than this. We had already faced him four or five other times. He would already pitched. He pitched a lot in that series. And so the guys that were coming up were pretty familiar with with Mariano. And so so there was something to that. We knew who we were facing. And we knew, we knew the task was... Was, was daunting, but at the same time, we we still felt pretty comfortable. Your argument that you flew back there knowing you had Randy and you had Kirk going, that's fine, I can't argue with right. that. But once you get to the ninth inning, Randy and Kirk can't help you. Absolutely. At that point, you guys need to do it. Absolutely. Um, and sure, you know, eventually, Luis got up, but you needed to work to get Luis up. Absolutely. Absolutely. No but, but you felt like, okay, we just got to hit him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, at that point, that was the another, the, you know, another thing that really made made that uh, that series so good was that there were enough enough veteran players on both teams who had been through been through really yeah. difficult games and, and, and tense games and you know, we've been through it and so it's not it's not that it's not nerve wracking to a certain degree but it's a, it's a thing that you try and sell players all the time so you sell sell the fact that you have to trust trust the work that you put in you trust the effort that you put in prior to uh, prior to the moment happening right and then whatever happens whatever result happens in that moment you can live with it because you know that you prepared for excellence there's the uh, preparation for the the moment there's also having done it and succeeded in the moment and then once you get that once you have that belief now it's just now it's just it's an oddity not to come through in those situations rather than to come through. You had uh, Mark that led off, Damian bundled the guy over, uh, ended up first and second. I came up, and I screwed up, and I'm thinking I'm thinking I screwed up the World Series as I was running down first base. But you know Tony Womack came up, and he was he was huge in the series. He was the perfect guy, perfect left-hander to face Mariano in that situation because. You know, he, he, he tended to he tended to handle the pitch inside as well as anybody. But still, we were in a position where it was Council, or uh, uh, Womack, Council, and Gonzo, those three left-handed hitters who were who had had some really nice success throughout the course of the season in big situations. They were not they, they were not fearful of those situations.
is this any special in, oh, in the way you remember it, or oh, do you absolutely. remember a lot of your things? Absolutely, it was it was uh, it's a it's a culmination of everything that you worked for over the course of your se- course of your career, and uh, you know some guys like the Chipper Joneses get to do it in their first year. I think Jeet was pretty young where he I think he might have been here his first, first year. year. And uh, so whenever you see these guys, it's like, man, it's just, that's not normal. <laughs> For me, it was, uh, let's see, 84 to 01, so 18 seasons, though. 17 years, 18 seasons, right? And, uh, and whenever you look at it, man, it took me 18 years to be able to do that. It's awesome. I mean, it's, it's, it really is. And then to go into the locker room and to, to celebrate after, after the game and then to share that with family and friends also was extremely special and uh, one of the one of the funny things that, that came out of uh, came out of that night again we went back home we had a house full of people and uh, so the kids were sleeping with me and Laura and so finally we decided we're gonna get up and go to Krispy Kreme to grab some donuts for <laughs> breakfast the next morning so we get up get dressed we go to Krispy Kreme about uh, I don't know, 5 a.m. or whatever and uh, so she stays in the truck and I go open the door to go inside and this is the beauty this is the beauty of the game too and the beauty of uh, this is what the game does to you you know we 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 tend to this game will find a way to uh, humble you and that's why for me you need to make sure that you say it however you want to say it remember where you came from and all that kind of stuff but just 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 remember remember that that uh, that this game is fleeting. No matter how long you get to play, it goes by so fast. And uh, so anyway, so I go inside, and and uh, this reporter's inside, the camera, and she sees me, and she says, "Hey, can I can I interview you?" And I said, "Yeah, I'd be happy to do. I'd be happy to do the interview." She said, "That is awesome. Thank you so much." She said, "She said the World Series last night." I said, "Did you happen to be at the game?" And I said. As a matter of fact, I was. It was one of the most wonderful games that I've ever seen. I said I had the best time watching it, and uh, I mean, I, I, it's something I'll always remember. So we finished the interview. I go, I get my dozen donuts or so, and then as I'm walking out, there's this big you know, donut box of mine up on the wall, and I have my autograph up there. So I walk out, I go get in the car, I start pulling away, and she's kind of sprinting out and gets her hands and knees and begs me to stop. Because the guys in the in the uh, behind the counter, they knew who I was, and so they told her after I left. And so it just goes to show you, this will, this game will be it is home. Hi, this is Tommy Canley. For more stories like the ones you've been hearing about, subscribe to Yankees Magazine by visiting Yankees.com/publications or by calling 800 Go Yanks. So what's in that yearbook, Nate? What else we got in there? We get into the the guts of the book, and we try to, you know, think about stories that are going to resonate throughout the season. And also, when you look back at a yearbook, you know, five, ten years from now, you kind of want to get a sense of what, what were some of the important storylines heading into that season. Um, so, you know, we, we led off with uh, Al's piece, Sultans of Swing, the first uh dual Q&A with Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton as teammates. And then, you know, we also included a piece that I had written just about how Giancarlo became a Yankee because, I mean, 
we acquired the National League MVP, a guy who hit 59 home runs last year. Like, regardless of what happens this year, he's going to be here for a long time. And, and bringing him to New York was a major, major story. Absolutely. I mean, there's so much good stuff in there. What else do we got? We got John's piece about Luis Severino, who finished, you know, third in the Cy Young voting last year. So obviously a, a crucial and, you know, important piece of the pitching staff. He was ended up becoming our opening day starter in 2018. Um, what else do we got? We've got uh, Al's piece on the new manager, Aaron Boone, of course. You know. And more importantly, we have Hillary's Q&A with Brian Cashman, That's which right. I think <laughs> may be the most important person uh, that we feature in the whole book. Because if you think about the way that this team was reshaped and re-put together and now is essentially, and this is not me saying it, it's the statistics from last year on the doorstep of, of the World Series um, and maybe the most exciting or one of the very few most exciting teams in baseball, the architect of that was Brian Cashman. And he obviously won uh, the Executive of the Year, Year Award last year very, very deservingly. And I think um, that's a, just a really important piece to have in here because it ties everything together. All the players that, Nathan, you just mentioned, you know, are here because— you know, he spearheaded those decisions, so. Yeah, I'm not sure we ever even really talked about that. I know mm-hmm. we, in uh, a couple episodes ago, I, I included a lot of the audio from the interview that I did with him, and I was really excited to sit down with him and talk to him about it because Brian is such a, an open guy. He's he's going to answer all of your questions <laughs> no matter what the answer is. He's not going to shy away from everything. So I thought it was interesting to talk to him about this team and how excited they are and how much further they want to go because he wants to go further too. It's his goal just as much as it's their goal, if not more so. He wants to win a ring too. Sure. And so that's what came across, I thought, when I talked to him. Yeah, that's certainly a, uh, an important adi- addition to the lineup in here. You know, we also have uh, a piece uh, – memorializing one of his biggest mentors in Gene Michael, who uh, passed away last September. Uh, We ran something, uh, a version of the story in our October issue, but, you know, we felt it was, I think it was your suggestion, John, that we keep that piece in the 2018 yearbook too, because, you know, Stick's imprint on the Yankees uh, is going to be felt for a long time. You know, a lot of the philosophies that Cashman and his team employ uh, come from Gene Michael. So uh, we, we felt that was another important piece to have in this, this year's yearbook. It really made me think, too, because we think of Stick as, you know, this just like, you know, father figure of the organization in some ways. And you kind of like maybe have an image of him as just being a guy who, you know, whether it's at home or in an office somewhere, it's just kind of, you know, had been, you know, whiling away his time, kind of enjoying his past. And I remember I was in Charleston last year uh, in June. Uh, working on a story and I'm sitting in you know the tiny press box in there and about an hour before the game in walks Stick Michael and it's just you know he's just on the road going out carrying all this stuff you know talking with the other scouts in the way baseball scouts talk like and you know actually I'm going to change it not in the way baseball scouts talk baseball scouts talk as though they know everything whereas you know Stick was talking like you know I'm just excited to see this I'm excited to see this kid throw I'm excited to see it and certainly didn't know that that was going to be the last time I saw him, but you know, he just didn't seem like a guy who was uh, not loving every minute of what he was doing. He so. loved every minute. He loved old timers' day. He would talk to you 
for as long as you wanted to talk too. I remember the first time I talked to him, and he was just so glad to be talking about baseball. Mm-hmm. He just loved it so much. So I think that's the the lasting memory I have of him. And I think obviously he he touched a lot of people in this organization. And like you said, a lot of what he preached and what he taught is the foundation of what this team is now. Yeah, his uh, his vision was really the key, I think, uh, to his success. You know, he was able to, and multiple people said this about him, he was able to see players not for what they were, but for what they would become. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously that paid huge dividends in the 1990s and into the early 2000s. But even today, that, that philosophy endures. And, you know, that's why, you know, you look out on the field now and you see Didi Gregorius at shortstop. You know, a lot of people probably, when he was with Arizona, didn't necessarily see him becoming what he is now. But, you know, by following this sort of mantra, you know, they're able to find gems like that. And, and I would also add Gary Sanchez, who mm-hmm. they could have, the organization could have uh, easily lost all their patients in when he struggled and when there were some up and down ups and downs in the uh, that he experienced in the minor leagues and things that were openly questioned and outwardly questioned but obviously i think they saw uh in him some character and they also saw obviously some tremendous ability and i think brian is very outspoken about it if he's the architect of these teams uh, 2009 and, and what will hopefully be another championship someday very soon. Uh, Stick was the architect of uh, the four championships in the late 90s by building those teams and um, and kind of handing the baton off to, to Brian, who who obviously navigated, uh, you know, the, the moves and the things that uh, completed those teams so marvelously, marvelously then. But I think it's a neat thing, and, and I, I, I'll be very honest, I didn't think about it until you guys brought it up just now, but how those Hillary story with Brian in there, who's kind of the architect of the now, and Nathan's story with Stick, who is who was the architect of the very recent past, but glorious recent past, both uh, men, real class acts and, and, and great people as, as much as they were and are uh, great architects. And both of them were around for the 1998 year, which we are celebrating all year long. We have a little bit of a retrospective in the yearbook about that. And then every month we're running a Q&A with a member of that team. In April, we had Louis Soho. Mm-hmm. Uh, in May, coming up, we're going to do David Wells. I think um, he might have pitched a perfect game that year. I don't he know. Had some kind of awesome performance. Something so. yeah. about that might be written. But That's for a, April, you yeah. talked to Louis Soho, and he was pretty underrated, I think, on the team. But he played a major role. What, what was it like talking to him? Oh, it's great. He's he's again just a, a fun guy to be around. Uh, very very down to earth. He's obviously still a member of the Yankees organization, um, coaching our minor league players at the minor league facility in Tampa, which is where I sat down with him. Um, what was really neat is him talking about kind of the intangibles that that 1998 team had. They didn't have the best player in the league. They didn't even really have a superstar, an MVP candidate. There were there were players on there who obviously became superstars. Like Nobody Derek even Jeter. started in the All-Star game. No one started in the All-Star game. Um, no one hit 30 home runs. No one hit 30 home runs. No one was you know, a candidate for the MVP, American League MVP award. Um, but what I'm kind of getting from each of the players that I talked to and, and was 
there's just a common theme, and the theme is that the chemistry on that team was second to none. They've all told stories about how when they were on the road from the beginning of the season till the end of the season, there was literally a minimum of 20 guys out for dinner on a given night and on most nights. You don't see that in baseball anymore, but you didn't even see that then. There was a tremendous bond between those players, and they really stuck together, and they all talk about how that was more important than the presence of a guy hitting 50 home runs or um, a Ken Griffey Jr. and Alex Rodriguez, who were you know maybe the best two players in the game at that point. But that really kept that team together. And the other thing that was so great about that team was this tremendous veteran bench that Joe Torre could insert any one of these guys into the lineup at the start of the game or somewhere down the line, and they all had tremendous moments. And Louis Soho was one of those guys. Daryl Strawberry was another. Chili Davis was another. But star player, Tim Raines, who's a Hall of Famer, stars in their own right who were kind of at the end of their career but had just enough left in the tank combining that with all the experience they had they always seemed to shine in like the seventh eighth or ninth inning when the team needed them most now i also will share with you guys that you know i asked louis if there were any like really funny stories that he could share and there were a lot that he couldn't share <laughs> and certainly none that i could share on this podcast but i i wanted to share the one story that he did offer up to me uh which i still laugh about you know when i think about which was that he didn't he knew that he wasn't coming into games until the later innings if at all um and he kind of has this reputation and this kind of look um that's somewhat maybe you know with all due respect not quite as athletic as (laughs) other professional athletes that we see in sports whether it's (laughs) you know um Derek Jeter, Tiger Woods. He's or, not. He's not quite know. as lean as Giancarlo Stanton. He, he's is. not. He doesn't have that same build per se. Yeah. GQ not reaching out to Louis no. Soho to do any cover shoots. <laughs> and I remember kind of even following him then, as a, uh, you know, in, while I was in college and following the Yankees and seeing him and be like, man, I, I can't believe this guy's a professional athlete. It just he just didn't fit the build, you know, or whatever. <laughs> so to kind of back that story up, he you know, talked about, well, what did he do during, you know, the early innings of the game? Well, he went into the player's lounge and lay down on the couch and took a nap. (laughs) So not, you know, not a good thing to uh, maybe have other players do. And I don't think any player could actually get away with that in this day and age. But he did that. You gotta be well rested to play baseball, guys. I don't know. He was well rested. (laughs) Uh, The only problem was that Don Zimmer, uh, the late great coach of the Yankees, uh, bench coach of the Yankees, Joe Torre's longtime bench coach, caught wind of it. (laughs) And instead of just going in there on his own uh, or with Joe Torre to break up his snooze fest, uh, he told Mr. Steinbrenner about it. Oh, and no. <laughs> uh, the three of them snuck in very quietly one night, George Steinbrenner, Joe Torrey, and Don Zimmer, during a game, and woke him up. So he thought when the boss was there, along with his manager and bench coach, that his Yankee career was over. And all Mr. Steinbrenner did was laugh at him, but he kind of got the hint that he could never do that again. So at least he got to August sleeping. <laughs> could you imagine how much success he would have had, though, in today's clubhouses? I mean, because you've all seen the old Yankee Stadium clubhouse. Like, you were not hiding in that room. Like, <laughs> right. like here, I mean, you could disappear for months in yeah. the Yankee Nathan Stadium. Nathan and I, last time we were, we were down, and they were just showing us all the different 
nooks and crannies of that clubhouse, and you're like, wait, where did? There's another door here. Well, after yeah. that fourteen inning, after that fourteen inning Friday night game, Aaron Boone the next day just casually mentioned that you know he slept, slept here, slept over. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure he had a comfortable spot where he <laughs> ended up. Exactly, yeah. that was the thing. I, I was joking with somebody. It's like I I don't think it's a good message to put a pull out couch in a manager's office. I don't think that sets like you know the right <laughs> message. But I'm sure that yes, there is one door there that leads to a perfectly comfortable bedroom where the team's manager can sleep if he needs to. Yeah, um, it's it's that's that's such a funny story. Yeah, it was it was awesome. It was, <laughs> and I think I, that, I, and I only wish that the the other stories that he quote unquote couldn't share. Mm. I could have heard those because they may have even been better. But. I'm guessing uh, Boomer Wells might have had a couple of those too. And I'm sure he was willing to <laughs> yeah, share them. He, he actually did share all of his. <laughs> I just can't share those with Not our fit audience. for print so, yeah. or air. No, no, not at all. Um, but I'm excited about these features. It's So we have the, the 98 retrospective in the yearbook. Yes, we, we reached out to a, a friend of the staff. Our, our buddy Bob Clappish uh, wrote a nice retrospective about the 1998 Yanks because uh, he was here you know he was on the beat every day that year so that's in the yearbook and then every month we've got a player from the 98 squad who's going to tell his story and uh, I think as, so as we've heard <laughs> there are yeah. some unique stories among the bunch so look on be on the lookout for all that stuff um like we said, the yearbook is on sale now. You can get it at Yankee Stadium. You can get it by calling 800-GO-YANKS or visiting yankees.com slash publications. The April magazine is still on sale, too, available in all the same places. And we are working on the May issue of Yankees Magazine right now. We are on got deadline, it. so we got to wrap this yep. podcast up and get to work. It's going to be another good one, though, we promise. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us, everybody, and we will talk to you soon. Bye.